Welcome to It's a Good Life podcast, where it's all about helping entrepreneurs think, feel, and do better. Before we begin, I want to tell you about It's a Good Life Plus, our new ad-free subscription on Apple Podcasts. All you've got to do is open the Apple Podcast app and click on It's a Good Life. You'll see a banner under the logo that removes ads and unlocks early access to episodes. It's just five bucks a month, and there's even a free trial. Today, we wanted to bring you a special episode from the archives, one of our most downloaded episodes we hope you enjoy. We're going to talk about developing self-belief. Over the past 25 years, I guess, I've been involved in the coaching and training and speaking side of things. And over that time, in interacting with an awful lot of folks, the number one thing I see that plagues people is a self-doubt or the consequences of not having a sufficient self-belief. And so we're going to talk about this today, and, and there's practical things we can do and steps we can take to develop our self-belief. So we're going to talk about three things, because we always talk about three things. First of all, we're going to talk about and ask you a question, what do you believe about yourself? Next, we're going to talk about what do you believe about your abilities? And thirdly, we're going to talk about what you believe about your future. So let's dive in, as I often like to do, with a definition of the word belief. Belief, according to Mr. Webster, is a state of mind in which trust or confidence is placed in some person or thing. I'll do it a few times. It's a state of mind, right? So it's in our, it's in our minds in which trust or confidence is placed in some person or something. And what we're going to talk about today is self-belief. And we're going to talk about self-trust, self-confidence. So the person we're going to talk about, the thing we're going to talk about today is us. Because if it starts with us, then we can have belief in others. They say when uh, the plane hits turbulence and the oxygen masks come down, you should put your oxygen mask on first and then put the oxygen mask on those you're supposed to serve and take care of. Most of us are in a position in our lives where we spend most of our day and time putting the oxygen mask on others. Maybe it's our family, maybe it's our kids, maybe it's our clients. Whatever the needs are, we're always putting the oxygen mask on others and we forget to put the oxygen mask on ourselves. So what are some of the consequences of this lack of self-belief? Well, first and foremost, it shows up in low self-esteem. A very, very dynamic process that many people are in the midst of you don't really have a conversation with somebody, hey, you know, you need to raise your self-esteem. And that kind of lowers it even further, doesn't it? And so it shows up in all walks of life. It's proven to show up in many, many interpersonal conflicts. It shows up in poor relationships. It shows up in poor performance on the job. In fact, Max Maltz, now Maximilian Maltz wrote Psycho-Cybernetics, one of the most powerful personal growth books of the 1970s. And he said that low self-esteem is like driving through life with your handbrake on. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like you weren't quite fully able to engage to the degree that your gifts and your talents and your abilities and your effort was desiring to? Uh, by the way, Max Maltz, he was this fantastic personal growth and development guy. His history was he was a plastic surgeon. Now, he was a plastic surgeon in the day that cosmetic surgery was with amputations or major injuries. Or My daughter Anna split her head open when she was a kid. We went to see a plastic surgeon because we put 39 stitches in her head. 
But as the 70s wore on, Max Maltz had more and more people coming to him for surgery where they were opting in for surgery, elective surgery, plastic surgery, cosmetic surgery. Why? As he would counsel his patients, he would often try to talk them out of using his services because he felt that many of the people who came through his door was because they didn't feel good about themselves, they didn't like how they looked, and they thought, if my nose looked like this, I'll feel better about myself. If I had this, if I was shaped this way or not shaped that way, then that would fix it. And he always let them know, okay, I can do the cosmetic surgery, but just so you know, when you look this way, it doesn't mean you're going to feel this way. He was trying to address the much deeper issue. In fact, Pope Francis, here's a quote I haven't used very often, but he said, needing to talk badly about others indicates low self-esteem. That means, I feel so low that instead of picking myself up, I have to cut others down. Let go of the negative things quickly is about getting healthy. That's powerful stuff. And sometimes we find when we hear our, in our own voice, being envious or hypercritical of others, it's actually coming out of a low self-esteem. In fact, that's one of the telltale signs. So I will tell you how I recognize self-esteem in people, low self-esteem. First of all, I see it in the form of people being hypercritical. Second, and the most easy to spot low self-esteem is when people are arrogant. When people are overtly arrogant and look like, oh, you know, they're this and they're boasting and this and that and the other. That is, they're trying to falsely inflate their low self-esteem. And third is, is that people of low self-esteem, they are always trying too hard. They are always trying too hard. How I know that one? Because that's the area that my low self-esteem has manifested itself in my life. I always had to outwork everybody, try harder than everybody, and that was the way I was the little engine that could, as opposed to just resting in who I am and what I am. And we'll talk about that here later on today, but years ago I developed a phrase for myself that said, just being myself is good enough to be great. Just being myself is good enough to be great. If you think about it, who are the characters you love, who are the TV characters, the comedians, the musicians? If you look at someone in public life, there might be a sports star, there's somebody, and you really admire them, it's usually somebody you think is being extremely authentic to who they are. They're just comfortable in their own skin, right? They're just comfortable in their own skin, and we so admire that in other people, we often revere those folks. And that's the key. As we look at self-belief, you'll become more and more comfortable in your own skin, and the more comfortable you become in who you are and what you are, you will attract people into your life because of that. And uh, it all works. So low self-esteem is a consequence of lacking self-belief. The twin brother, if you will, of low self-esteem is insecurity. Insecurity kills more dreams than failure ever will. Another great quote is, confidence is silent, insecurities are loud. Isn't that true? Confidence is silent, insecurities are loud. I talked about in our podcast about changing your thoughts, change your life, that my good friend Shad Helmstetter wrote a book, What to Say When You Talk to Yourself. We are talking to ourselves all the time, every day. And the key is, what do we listen to and what do we ignore? And so the insecurities are loud. The confidences, they're silent. We need to learn to listen to the small voice and we need to learn to grow deaf to the thundering jackass that is our insecurity. Another consequence of not having self-belief is we make decisions based on fear. 
The great Les Brown says, too many of us are not living our dreams because we are living our fears. The great Zig Ziglar used to say, false evidence appearing real. So the F for false, the E for evidence, the A for appearing, and R for real. It's false. It's false, but we turn it into this. And the next thing you know, the boogeyman's coming, the boogeyman's coming. And now we're making decisions because we're making it out of fear. I'm afraid of being judged. I'm afraid this might go wrong. I'm afraid of what someone might think of me. I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid of making a mistake. False evidence appearing real. And those are all consequences of making decisions and doing things out of a, a spirit of lack of belief. That state of mind in which trust or confidence is placed in ourselves. So how do you get there? So first and foremost, the first question is, what do you believe about yourself? What do you believe? So you talk about that trust and the confidence you have. What do you believe about yourself? Honestly, in the quietness of your own heart, what do you believe about yourself? And it's okay to believe a few good things. It's okay that there's a few things that's less than great. But what's most important is that you don't have false beliefs about yourself. So you got to look at your past experiences. You got to look at and listen to feedback from peers and family. And then you got to understand the difference between competing or comparison. So let's just talk about it. Uh, what do you believe about yourself? Well, let me give you an example. In my past experience, I came to believe something that was handed to me, an opinion that was handed to me. It was a false belief. It was a statement that was not true. That'll be obvious when I give you the example of it here. But when I was in school, one of my teachers came to me and said, Brian Buffini, you're obviously not a very creative person. And the reason for that was my handwriting wasn't very good. My brothers used to kid me that my handwriting looked like a spider, dipped its butt in ink and walked across the page. That's the way they used to say it. So you don't have good handwriting, therefore you're not creative. That's the way it was at the Christian Brothers School I went to. And here's the thing. If you think about this, I've spent the last 25 years of my life creating content, creating a coaching program, creating systems, creating episodes for podcasts. I have a creative department. I'm talking to you today in this podcast studio, which is a wing of an entire building where my creative team surrounds me. I have dozens of people who support me in the creation of content. I have a video team. I have a creative director in marketing. I am involved with content and content creation all the time. It's about 90% of my life in my work. Yet I had a person tell me when I was young, you're not very creative because your handwriting doesn't look good. And here is the point. I believed them. I believed them. And I believed them for decades. And I would tell people I'm not very creative. I would have self-deprecating humor about the fact that I couldn't draw very well or create pictures. Oh, no, I'm a house painter. We, we you'd have painted the Sistine Chapel. We'd have done it in five hours, not five years. I had all these lines, funny one-liner Irish-isms about my lack of creativity. That's what we do. We have humor, or we become defensive, or we become insecure about it. But if you'd have come up to me and said, are you a creative person when I was 25 years or 30 years of age? I'd have said, absolutely not. Now, what happened was I represented a multi-multi-millionaire. I'm sure he's a billionaire in today's money. And I helped him with the sale and the purchase of a house. And it was a very difficult set of circumstances. It was a challenging property, a lot of unique features. And I came up with a whiz-bang marketing plan to promote this ranch 
We sold this property in a way that we identified who were the potential buyers. And I actually procured the buyer myself, sold the property. It turns out they tried to sell this property for seven years. I sold the property in 120 days, almost full price, to a very, very unique buyer. And this billionaire man looked me in the eye and said, you are the most creative guy I've ever met. And I went, what do you mean? And he had to walk me through the process. And then he said to me, Brian, creativity is the ability to be able to come up with a solution to a complex problem. That's creative thinking. And it was the validation I got from another person. By the way, he's a person who was credible. And what it did was shatter this concept that I was not creative. I had people working for me and I'd tell them, I'm not creative, you have to do this. And yet it would show up all the time. I would actually undermine people's work because I was very creative and I would abdicate that responsibility. And when they came to me with an idea, I would undermine it. Why? Because I already had some creative thoughts that needed to be on the table. But because I had a self-belief that said I'm not creative, it was an unhealthy situation. What beliefs have you bought into? Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a colleague. Sometimes we will give that kind of power to a bystander or someone we meet. Yeah, you're this. You meet some jacked up coach and says, you're lazy, you're no good. You got a terrible attitude. Oh, yeah, I got a terrible. Yeah, hi. My name's Brian. I have a terrible attitude. That's who I am. And it becomes a self-belief. Why would we give that kind of power over to other people? We do it all the time. Very, very powerful. We can look at our past experiences and we can learn from them and we can also get charged from them, right? If you've had mistakes, Zig Ziglar used to say, failure is an event, not a person, okay? It's an event. So you're not a failure. You had a failure. By the way, the most successful people on the planet have experienced failure. You can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. C.S. Lewis said that. Powerful, powerful stuff. So we can learn from our past, but don't let someone else define for you who you are and what you are. And that's the second piece that I'm leaning into here is feedback from peers and family. You can get feedback that's not true. You can also get feedback from people that's very true. Now, how do you know the difference? Well, first, it should resonate with you at a very deep level. Second of all, you take time to think. Third of all, if a number of people come to you with the same feedback over and over and over again, and you've witnessed some of this in your own life, at some point in time, you have to believe it. Feedback is simply the scoreboard telling you how things are going. Feedback is sometimes that objective standard that you need. And so we need to get feedback. And I will share with you, when you get feedback, you're in a healthier place. Now, I've had feedback where someone I trusted came to me when I was first going on the speaking business and training business, and he said, oh, you're going to lose your family. It's going to destroy your life. It's going to destroy your health. And he gave me examples and said, this is what's going to happen. Now, here's what I want you to know. I didn't just ignore the guy. I sat down. I thought through the process. I prayed through the process. I asked my wife. I asked a number of other people, and they came back to me. No, you have to do this. It was interesting because it was years and years ago, that same guy who gave me the feedback not to do it walked up. It was an event, 5,000 people. He walked up to me and said, I am so glad you didn't listen to me. Because <laughs> he was giving me feedback. Oh, by the way, it turns out he was giving me feedback of the context of where he was at in his life. And at that time, he was very fearful about making a decision himself. Came in contact with a guy who wasn't fearful about making a decision. Listen, decided to give me his fear. In that case, I didn't receive it. Here's my question to you. Have you ever received someone else's fear and take it as your own? 
Have you ever taken the opinion of someone else that didn't really know you, who said you're not creative and made it your own? When you take this feedback. Carol Dweck, who wrote a fantastic book called Mindset, said, what can I learn from this? What will I do next time I'm in this situation? So what can I learn from this? What can I do the next time I'm in this situation? You get feedback, okay? Elon Musk says, you want to be extra rigorous about making the best possible thing you can. Find everything that's wrong with it and fix it. Seek negative feedback, particularly from friends. So seek it out and say, hey, can I make this better? What needs to be improved? As well, that's great. Oh, you're awesome. You're great. And so sometimes you just need that. It has to be done constructively. It can still be done in a positive fashion. So we've talked about our past experiences. We've talked about feedback from peers and family. Now we want to talk about competition versus comparison. Competition is a fantastic thing. It comes from the Greek word kompeo, which means to bring the best out of. That's why we want to put ourselves. You know, I tell people all the time, you got to put yourself in a situation to compete. Folks say, I want to take all the stress away from my life. Let me tell you this. Physiologically, if you remove all stress from your life, you are dead. You're dead. You're actually in the tomb, in the box, gone. We need stress. We actually have to have stress to live. We need resistance to grow. Our body actually needs it. When we go work out, we have to put our body under resistance. Actually, even our digestive system needs resistance. We actually have to have forms of stress. For the mind to stay active, we have to put it into a place where it's challenged, where it's thinking, which means we have to put our mind under stress. The fact of the matter is, you want to be in these environments so you can have and bring out the very best of yourself, so you can compete. Competition, when done right, is beautiful. Competition, when done wrong, looks like this, comparison. Comparison leads to low self-esteem and insecurity, I guarantee you. There's always somebody, if you compare yourself to them, you're in trouble. I love this quote that says, the reason we struggle with insecurity is because we compare our behind-the-scenes with everyone else's highlight reel. It's a brilliant insight. Everyone else's highlight. You know, people come to me and, Brian, back when you had problems. Uh Uh-huh, what are you talking about? Like, back when you had problems. Now, I think what they're trying to talk about is back when the the struggle was real and I had $92 in my wallet and a motorcycle accident. Hold on a sec. I have totally different problems today, but I got problems today. I got challenges today. They're a different quality. They're certainly an improved quality in some regards, but I got challenges today. That never goes away. The fact is, people think that guy's never had a bad day. That gal, she's got it all together. We have no idea what's going on in someone's mind, in someone's heart. You never know. Where we become in a form of comparison is their highlight reel, and we compare it with our behind-the-scenes reel. Here's a story, and I'll try to generalize it a little bit, but when I bought my first airplane, I shared a hangar with another jet, and it was owned by a gentleman that owned a product line that was a big clothing company, a very popular brand. And all over on their side of the hangar, they had these giant posters of the spokesmodel for their company. You know, it was beautiful, put-together woman with all these great clothes featuring their products. It turns out it was the daughter of the owner of the company. So one day I'm there, and my pilot says, hey, would you like to meet the owner of the other plane? I go, yeah, sure. We're kind of buddies. We own this hangar together. Hadn't never really met him. So I go over, shake hands, so on and so forth. And he introduces me to his daughter, and his daughter was the spokesmodel for the company. This beautiful, put-together woman. Now, here's the thing. I'm looking at this person. She's a very nice lady. But she did not look anything like the pictures on the walls. 
I mean, I looked more like the pictures on the walls than she did. And I'm thinking to myself, how many women in the world are killing themselves to look like the image in that magazine, to look like the image of that spokesmodel, and she doesn't even look like that? Because of comparison. And comparison, by very nature, produces insecurity. Why? Because it focuses on what you're not. You know, they have fairer skin. They are taller. They are thinner. They are richer. They are happier. They are this. They are that. They are whatever. And we also have this fanciful idea of what their life looks like. And we compare it with the struggles of our own life. And it leads to this insecurity or envy or resentment. Bad stuff. Okay? Teddy Roosevelt said this, comparison is the thief of joy. Well, I want to live a joyous life. And I know one thing that steals my joy is, oh my gosh, when I compare myself to other people. In the story of the Acres of Diamonds I talked about with Russell Conwell. So when Ali Hafed, who owned a vast tract of land and he was a rich man, and all of a sudden he meets the priest who tells him about diamonds and what diamonds look like. And they said, Ali Hafed woke up a rich man who was at peace, and he went to bed a poor man who was discontented. Why? Because he was a farmer, he was rich, he was successful in what he knew, but along came this outside person who told him about diamonds, and he didn't have any diamonds. And he compared himself to someone who owned diamonds, and he went to bed poor, and he went to bed discontent. That happens with comparison. And comparison will lead you to a place of a joyless life. Pete Carroll, the great football coach, says the only competition that matters is the one that takes place within yourself. That's the way to go to work. So, what do you believe about yourself? Past experiences, feedback, and then ultimately understanding the difference between competition and comparison. Second, what do you believe about your abilities? In our pre-production meeting here for our podcast, a number of the interns we had were saying, what's the difference between believing in yourself and believing in your abilities? Great question. And my answer was what I'll share with you. Are you your abilities? No, you're not. Your abilities are part of you, but they are not you. So we're going to get into that a little bit. An ability is talent, skill, or proficiency in a particular area. Okay? Now let's kind of break these down a little bit. So your abilities are broken into talents, skills, or proficiency being good at something. So first and foremost, your abilities by themselves, these are the things you're born with. I will say this to you, and I say this all the time, 3 million people in 37 countries I presented to, and the tens of thousands of people I coach. I tell you those things not to impress you. I tell you those things to impress upon you that this information is coming to you out of experience. And I can say this to you. I have yet to meet the person face-to-face, eye-to-eye, who I thought, they don't have any God-given abilities. They actually have zero. We have actually nothing to work with here. There's no way we can coach this person. There's no way we can help this person. There's no point in training this person because this is the one person that came out of the womb and God said, nope, nope, no, nope, no soup for you. No soup for you. No abilities. You have no gifts. You are no good. I have yet to meet that person. Now what I have met, I've met a lot of people who don't know what their abilities are. I've met a lot of people who don't know what their talents are. I've met a lot of people who have abilities that are not happy with the abilities they have. They want someone else's ability. I can share this with you. The number of people who've come to me who've tried to 
model themselves after what I do and how they do it and the way they've done it, who don't have the ability to present or do that type of dynamic from stage or in a public arena. And yet I see these other, they might have an ability of administration, of encouragement. They might be great with people. You know, there's a lot of things that they can be very, very talented at that I see, but they don't want their ability. They want mine. And I've seen people really turn sour, really become frustrated because they wanted the attraction of what someone else's abilities represented to them. So the first thing with your abilities is, what are you born with? So what are your God-given abilities? Now, once you have that established, then the goal is to add skills to your abilities. This is really how you get down the path. You develop skills in the area of your abilities. Now, the good news is you can develop skills in the area where you don't have abilities. That's the great equalizer in life. So let's say there's people who are naturally gifted in money and you're not naturally gifted at money. You can develop skills to the degree where you can be as good or even better with the person who has the ability who doesn't use it. Now, if you want to be great at something, you take those natural abilities and then you put the emphasis on skill development. Now you got something. Larry Bird, one of my favorite basketball players, when I was growing up, we really only cheered for one team in Ireland, obviously, and it was the Boston Celtics, we used to call them. And Larry Bird was the man. In fact, when I first came to America, I came to America June 4th, 1986. And uh, two days later, Larry Bird won the game that won the championship. And then it was the parade in Boston. One of my first thing I saw on American television. Well, Larry said this, a winner is someone who recognizes his God-given talents, works his tail off to develop them into skills, and then uses these skills to accomplish his goals. Now, that's the mindset of someone who's achieved greatness. Recognizes, so you got to recognize your God-given talents, that's your abilities, works his tail off to develop them into skills, and uses these skills to accomplish his goals. Powerful stuff. The world is filled with people who had less talent, who worked so hard on their skills that they outstripped the talented people. You're listening to one today. You're listening to one today. I would tell you honestly, growing up, I didn't know if I was good at anything. I really struggled for years with that. I didn't know what I was good at. I couldn't really find my niche. I worked hard. I worked hard. I worked hard. Over time, I became highly skilled. And the more skilled I became, then I started to understand my own abilities. I put the abilities with the skills. Then you have something. You have something. So you have your abilities that you're born with. You have your skills that you can develop. The other dynamic, and this is it's a bigger piece, you have spiritual gifts. You have spiritual abilities. Administration. Discernment is a spiritual gift. Exhortation. That's my wife. She has the gift of encouragement. Uh, you could have the spiritual gift of giving or healing. You, can, you know, there's people in the, in the healing arts. Um, they just have that gift. There's people who have the gift of wisdom. There's people who have the gift of teaching. There's people who have the gift of mercy. You know, have you ever seen hospice care? Have you ever seen someone who helps somebody die with dignity? Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's inspiring when you see people who are around an environment where older people or people of severe medical situations that are in their last moments of death and they're in an environment where they're loved and cared. That person has a gift of mercy. It's profound. And when you see that person, I don't have that gift, but I see somebody doing that. Hey, it's no different than watching Carlos Santana play the guitar or Itzhak Perlman play the violin or Pavarotti sing. 
It's no different. And so as we look at these things, there are abilities we're born with, there are skills we can develop, and there are spiritual gifts. Very, very powerful. Very powerful indeed. Another dynamic of this that I want to talk to you about is ultimately authenticity. Is that when you lean into the God-given abilities you have, and you have to go work to find out what they are, and sometimes you find out what they are by finding out what they're not. You have to try stuff. You have to be willing to fail at stuff. You put yourself out there. Okay, I tried that. All right, that didn't work. All right, that didn't resonate with me. I like to talk about this tuning fork you have. It's like, dong, the tuning fork moment. It happened for me. I was asked to speak at a Sunday school class. I spoke. I was nervous and scared. I was terrified of public speaking. Why? Because people told me it was one of the biggest fears in the world, so I believed them. So when I was asked to do a public speaking engagement on the principles in business at my local church, I was terrified. And there was a bunch of people in there that had advanced degrees, and I'm not that advanced degree guy. And so I went in, I prepared, I worked hard, probably worked too hard. Then I went in and presented it. But while I was presenting, a little tuning fork went off, and I went, ooh, there were parts of that that felt right. Now, the speaker I am today and the presenter I am today, very different than that guy 30 years ago. But I also know my wife saw it and she says, I think you might be good at that. It was, again, that part of that feedback. It's funny, I uh, was doing a visit to our coaching department the other day and when I walk around the coaches, sometimes I'll put their headphones on and, and jump in on a coaching session. And I talked to a bunch of people the other day and I met this gal on the phone from Houston. She's been in our coaching program 22 years. And she said, Brian, I've been with you since you were no good. (laughs) I thought that was fantastic. She goes, now, trust me, you are no good compared to what you are today. She says, you were better than everyone I came across that time. But she goes, today, you're really good. You know what? She's right. I've been working at it for 22 years. And by the way, I hope to be a lot better in the years to come. So you guys let us know, write a review and let me know if we're getting better or not. But there's nothing like being authentic, being yourself. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, to be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. The great Norman Vincent Peale said, believe in yourself, have faith in your abilities. Without a humble but reasonable confidence in your own powers, you cannot be successful or happy. I mean, this is great stuff, isn't it? Number three, what do you believe about your future? Now, I've talked in many other podcasts before about the media and the news and the fears that come from that. And I've always tried to give historical perspectives and here's how the markets performed. and Here's what I think about the future. And here's how you engage and you approach this with either fear or anticipation. I've covered all those things in the past. What I'm specifically talking about now is your own personal belief, right? It's that trust or confidence in yourself for the future. Are you going to approach the future with fear or anticipation? So I'm going to share with you a couple of very, very powerful things. The first thing I want to share with you is the power of testimony. It's of someone's example. Now, there's two different ways to go with this. There are people of an example that's like, great, that's a cautionary tale. So they did this and this and this, and they ended up in that bad spot. That's a cautionary tale. Not to go and say, I'm now I'm fearful of taking action. But this is what happened to those guys. I'm not going that route. All right? The other side is someone who's taken this action who's been successful in a way that you want to be successful. And I want to share with you an affirmation, something that you can say to yourself as you think and look at that person. If they can do it, I can do it. If they can do it, I can do it. 
about six months ago, my brother Dermot got very committed to really getting in shape and losing weight, actually reducing his body fat, increasing his muscle mass, and so on and so forth. And he's dropped about 25 pounds. He looks great. And he's working with the same trainer. He has the same body type as me to some degree, a little bit taller. You know, I've been working out with the same guy. I've been working hard. And I've been in and out of working hard for a lot of years. But finally, I saw Dermot really have this progress. And I went, all right, if he can do it, I can do it. Not in a form of comparison, not even in a form of competition with him, but as a form of I took encouragement from someone I could identify with, someone I can connect to. If he can do it, I can do it. Now, if I'm a basketball player and I'm five foot nine, I'm not modeling my game after Shaquille O'Neal, who's seven foot two and 350 pounds. Because I can say, if he can do it, I can do it. That doesn't mean nothing. But if there was another Irish fella in the NBA at 51 who was five foot nine, I might be going, hey, he started playing when he was 50. I could start then. If he can do it, I can do it. So it's something relatable, someone you can connect to. And then the affirmation is, if they can do it, I can do it. Here's the next thing. You can learn from your own personal testimony. What are the things you've done in your life that you're proud of? What are the accomplishments you can say, yeah, I did that. Yeah, I'm proud of that. Yeah, that was something I did well. Rarely do we actually take stock of that stuff. And when you're currently in a bad spot, let's say you've had the week from hell. Let's say you've had the month from hell. Let's say you've had the whirlwind and everything you've done has gone sideways. One of the thoughts to have, I did it before, I can do it again. I've been here before and this is what I did. I did it before, I can do it again. So the first testimony is if they can do it, I can do it. And the second testimony for yourself, go back into your memory banks, find those things, however small. It might have been a geography paper you got an A on. It might have been uh, something you had to endure. It usually is something difficult you had to persevere through. I did it before, I can do it again. It's a very, very powerful affirmation. By the way, what does it do? When you speak it out loud, it reprograms a neuropathway in the brain. This is the brain science. The neuropathways in the brain, they connect thought through the brain capacities, through the wiring in our brain, into our memory cells, which then out of that neuropathway becomes our memory and our subconscious responses. For many people, the neuropathways in their brain can often be like an old dusty road. Picture it like something that's overgrown with weeds. There's potholes because we haven't done anything on that road for a long time. When you set goals, guess what you do? You start taking the weeds out of that road. When you read, listen to things that help you to achieve those goals, now you're repaving that road. When you affirm statements, now all of a sudden you're painting the lines on the road, you're putting the rumble strips on the side, and you're getting that into a high-speed freeway. And so what happens is, and this is really the truth of the highest levels of success, the highest levels of success are unconscious. And the reason they're unconscious is that the neuropathways in the brain are firing. I'm going to do some podcasts and shows on this in the future, but ultimately, here's what I will tell you. Things that you say that are true, that are connected to visual pictures. So a person who's a role model, great. Dermo's working out, doing great, whatever else. If he can do it, I can do it. Second challenge I'm facing, okay, this looks overwhelming. This, okay, what are the things I've done in my past? I did it before, I can do it again. I am repaving the neuropathways in my brain. The last thing, and this is kind of a business piece, is as you talk about your future, is how do your abilities align with filling and serving a need, okay? This is a big thing. How do you 
align your abilities with filling and serving a need. So when we talk about what do you believe about your future, David Brooks said this, almost every successful person begins with two beliefs. The future can be better than the present, and I have the power to make it so. Very, very powerful. When I read the Harvard Institute of Politics report that said 50% of millennials no longer believe that the American dream is possible, that statement alone led me to write the Emigrant Edge book because I wanted to approach things from a perspective that if I could come here with nothing and do this, and oh, by the way, here's the study of all these people who came to America with nothing, who went on to become super successful, and here's the seven common attributes that show up over and over and over again. Well, if you were born here and you had a good start here, my goodness, if you took those seven principles, you could skyrocket, and that the American dream is alive and well, and that there will be many times the number of millionaires in the next 50 years than they were in the last. No question about it. But what do you believe? But that's what I believe. Go read the book, The Emigrant Edge. You go find out. What do you believe? Henry Ford says, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. There was a guy, by the way, Henry Ford was once on the stand in a courtroom in Detroit, and the prosecutor said, I believe, Mr. Ford, you are the dimmest man in all of America. To which Henry Ford replied, you might be correct, sir, but my genius lies in surrounding myself with the brightest people in all of America. And that's an example of his belief system. And he'd say, okay, I might not be the smartest tool in the shed, but here's what I know about myself. I'm going to surround myself with the smartest guys in the shed. And by the way, when I do that, now I'm smart. And so that's an example of his belief. Ashton Eaton, the world champion decathlon, says, if you've done something once, you can do it again, or you can do it better. The beauty is the pursuit of the limit, not the limit itself. At least that's what I hope people realize. These are all people saying the same thing. I do it before, I can do it again. So as we get into this third element on your beliefs, we want to talk about from a business perspective, how do your abilities align with filling a need and serving? A.G. Gaston said, find a need and fill it. Successful businesses are founded on the needs of people. It's 100% true. So you find a need, then you match up your abilities, your skills, and the ability to serve people in their area of need, and now you're on your way to success. The great Brian Tracy we had in here for a couple of podcasts said, when you develop yourself to the point where your belief in yourself is so strong that you know you can accomplish anything you put your mind to, your future will be unlimited. Well, I'm obviously on fire talking about this stuff today. I feel my own self-belief soaring as I'm talking to you today because ultimately I'm a guy that didn't believe in himself very much and over time have come to do that. Not in an arrogant way, not in a shy way, not in a proud way. Very, very comfortable in my own skin and knowing this, that the more I continue to go to work on me, the more I continue to develop me, the better I'm going to do. The more value I'll represent the people, the more needs I'll be able to meet, the better I'll be able to serve, the better I'll be able to lead the organization I lead. And if I can lead those people in developing their self-belief, then the better they'll be able to serve, the better they'll be able to encourage other people. So I hope this has really resonated with you today. This might be a podcast you want to listen to a couple of times. Maybe once have a chance to sit in a place where you could take some notes. I hope that you refer it to a friend. Do you know someone who's struggling with low self-esteem or insecurity or has a lot of fear in their life? And maybe you can refer this podcast. Pretty easy to do. I want to hear your feedback. I want to hear your reviews. 
And before I hand you over to my mother to give you a little Irish blessing here today, let me tell you something. No one in my life has believed in me more than my mother. And sometimes someone has to believe in you in order for you ultimately to start believing in yourself. And my mother used to say to me, almost every day of my life, you can do it, Briny. And she believed in me, and she believed in me, until such time as I believed in myself. I try to do the same with my own kids. Sometimes they might roll their eyes when I tell them who I think they are and all that kind of good stuff. But I know from my past experience that I'm going to speak that into their lives the way it was spoken into me. I know there's people who've spoken into your life in some capacity. It might have been a parent, it might have been a family member, it might have been a friend, it might have been a loved one, it might have been a customer who shared a good word with you. And sometimes you need to receive the belief that others have in you so you can develop your own self-belief. So as we finish off this show here today, I'm going to have you hear a blessing from the person who believed in me every day of my life. And as she gives you an Irish blessing today, may you receive it in the same way she's blessed me. May it be a blessing to you. May the road rise up to meet you and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.